hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. Exco, give it to you. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, <laughs> that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Exco, give it to you. Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Welcome to the Megan Kelly Show. Incredible new details on the absolute meltdown inside CNN after the Trump town hall. We're going on one week now, and they are still in a shambles over there. One CNN staffer likening the fallout to the Chernobyl nuclear disaster. <laughs> this is the greatest story ever. I'm sorry. It's the greatest. Meanwhile, on Friday night, CNN's primetime drew a smaller audience than Newsmax. Okay, now we never even look at Newsmax. No no disrespect to my friends at Newsmax. They they understand this too. They're not in as many homes as Fox News. So I mean, they were just like a blip that nobody would ever even look at. And now they're beating CNN. Oh my God, in the prime time, at least on Friday. Always love when our friends from the Fifth Column podcast join the show and they are here today for the entire program. Camille Foster and Matt Welsh are here. Moynihan, interestingly, is stuck in the subway and will be here shortly. <laughs> you know what? This is very sketchy. What's he doing? Like a little like man on the street <laughs> research for the biggest story in New York right now. Is that what's happening, guys, from we the fifth.substack.com? Some debate, some debate about whether or not he is doing his own Michael Jackson impersonations or he's actually trying to wrestle someone to the ground right now. Uh, I suspect <laughs> we'll find out very soon, though. Yeah. Uh, and I hope he'll, he he'll be the, the good guy. There he is. I see him. What's he up? made it. Moynihan, can, can you hear us? Yeah, I was just doing a very uh, spirited rendition of the song Dirty Diana on the subway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and when I got up on my toes, I was attacked ruthlessly. <laughs> so now I'm here. I apologize. Glad to see you. There is something I just want to say one thing before we start. It is amazing to me that no people who live in New York aren't all libertarians because nothing in this city works. Literally, you pay absurdly high taxes <laughs> and nothing works. Something that a private company could do well, the New York uh, City government cannot achieve the most basic things. And I'm doing Trump hands because I'm so frustrated by it. So, so sorry for being late. That's true. No, my, my, my biggest image of New York City right now these days, and I lived there for 17 years on the Upper West Side with my family, is the trees. Because now I live in Connecticut where there are actual trees with mm -hmm. leaves on them. Unlike the Upper West Side and the Upper East Side and the Lower East Side and Hell's Kitchen, where the trees don't so much have leaves as they do plastic bags. Yes. Plastic bags, <laughs> like little sad little wannabe yes. Christmas ornaments adorning yes, the trees because the Department of Public Sanitation is all but non-existent. Yes. 
So the trees are covered yeah. in violence in New York. <laughs> They're covered in leaves. Um, I live outside the city most of the time, too. And uh, it is a real uh, market contrast. And you need that once in a while to come back and say, oh, my God, this is the fifth world. It's not yes. even third world. So. So, um, so yeah, but they are. I'm excited to to share with you all that they are thinking about. Um, and of course, it'll cost an incredible amount of money. They're thinking about finally putting the garbage sacks that are piled up on the streets in bins. They're uh, they're this, they're they're <laughs> nice. making this consideration in New York City in the Lord's year twenty and twenty. That would be nice to have some bins, yeah. and then if they could actually aim correctly for the bins, because the problem is once <laughs> the garbage trucks go by, they they dump out the garbage, you know, the trash mm -hmm. that's on the street corners or that you have wrapped up in a bag, and then there's an overflow, right? There's overflow from the because they don't pick up enough, and then mm -hmm. they just leave it. So you're walking down the street, you're stepping over so much disgusting trash. Now you're stepping over. <laughs> human excrement yes it's yeah. true that's another joy of the subway these days this yeah. this mayor was not the the big fix that many of us hoped he'd be after no. the disastrous last mayor all right <laughs> enough about new york city let's talk about cnn i sent this to debbie and steve my my producers last night i'm like this is the greatest story i've ever read in my life um it's by lachlan cartwright who's a reporter over at the daily beast and justin Bar barragona um and it's under this brand called confider now, it's following up on a Puck News report that initially reported things continue in a downward spiral at CNN. They are so angry that Trump was hosted in a town hall internally. I mean, it's a full revolt. It's dividing the staff from the management. The staff's attacking the management. The management is, is attacking the staff it, in places like Fox News Digital. It's a, it's a civil war inside of CNN right now. And th th this is just an example of the Trump derangement syndrome that has dominated the media for the past six years and continues to to this day. All right, so I'm going to get into all of it, but let me just set it up with this, with the lamentation of their you know, best known news anchor, I think it's fair to say, Anderson Cooper, the day after the Trump town hall last week, which I haven't yet played for the audience, maybe they've seen it elsewhere, but you got to get a feel for how sad and disturbed the CNN talent and many, many others inside the building are that Trump was given this forum. Listen. As good a job as Galen Collins did trying to fact check him, it is impossible to fact check fully because he lies so shamelessly. That man you were so upset to hear from last night, he may be president of the United States in less than two years. And that audience that upset you, that's a sampling of about half the country. They are your family members, your neighbors, and they Jesus. are voting. You have every right to be outraged today and angry and never watch this network again. But do you think staying in your silo and only listening to people you agree with is going to make that person go away? <laughs> I mean, at least he kept the tears from rolling down his yeah. cheeks because that would have been a little bit too strong. Well, he's Holy kind God. of right about that last bit, though, isn't he? He is. Yeah. And like, don't sure. you know, you got to deal with this. You can't be like I me. Mean, it is really amazing. what He says those people in the audience, those are real humans. I am Gloria Vanderbilt's son. <laughs> and now that's a special thing. Um, <laughs> that was really amazing, but I do appreciate all of this. And we talked about it on the fifth column, this incredible thing, uh, coming from inside a news organization with yes. a man who is going to cinch the nomination for the Republican party for the next election should not be quote unquote platformed. Are you right. joking with me? Right. It's unbelievable. Here's how I'm going to revise his talking points for him. Dear CNN audience, grow up. <laughs> grow up. It's called news. Sorry. Okay, bye. 
That's it. I mean, like, <laughs> the, the struggle session on the air live, Camille, like, oh, you have every right to be angry and to never watch the channel again. Like, who are they kidding? Either do news or don't, but don't apologize for doing the news. I mean, the presumption is very clear that the people who watch his show couldn't possibly vote for Donald Trump. Like they're just, yeah. they're aware of that. So any, any pretense that what they are doing is decidedly objective, and not, not that one can be completely objective, but that it is decidedly objective and it's just the facts. And that is what they're doing. Um, like should obviously be pushed aside in favor of this rather indirect, but very clear admission that what we've been doing for a very long time is producing a newscast that the only sort of people who would actually watch it are the kind of people who would be outraged by the very visage of Donald Trump on the screen and the sound of his voice. If you are outraged by Donald Trump, even if you're someone who dislikes him, by just him appearing and being cross-examined by someone who didn't do the best possible job, the magic, well, I know there's some disagreement about that point of hand. Um, that, is, that is really distressing. You're an adult human outraged by the fact that the man is on television ever. Uh, I, I think that's, that's preposterous. Um, and Anderson did eventually arrive at what sounded like the, the right idea that people shouldn't be siloing themselves. But it's also the case that anyone who's been watching your program apparently has been siloing themselves. So <laughs> it's nice he that you're to, no longer doing that, but that's what you did before. He had to acknowledge their pain first. You understand? Yeah. Like they're all <laughs> feeling it. This is obviously hugely Bodily. distressing to hear him again and have him back again. We get it. We feel you. I mean, so much for the new, more fair and balanced CNN. All right, because that's that's the, the way forward is not we fucking hate him as much as you do, but we've got to put him on because he's running <laughs> like that's that is not the way to win back the missing GOPers that they drove away during the GOP of the Trump years. So. All right. So that what he said shows to some extent what's happening inside the building at CNN and it's ongoing. Puck News, Dylan Byers, who used to I think he was inside CNN, then he went inside NBC. And now he works for Puck News, um, has a, an article up saying that he summoned their new Brian Stelter, a guy named Oliver Darcy, up to his office. Chris Licht is the new boss over at CNN. He's the new Jeff Zucker. And he was very unhappy with the way his internal reporter, media reporter, Oliver Darcy, shown here on the left, covered the fallout within the building after this town hall, reports Dylan Byers. Um, Oliver Darcy's newsletter caught Chris Lick's attention. Chris Lick summoned him and told him, you are too emotional in covering this. What did Oliver Darcy write? Quote, it's hard to see how America was served by the spectacle of lies that aired on CNN Wednesday <laughs> evening. He, he reported that his boss, Chris Licht, was now facing a fury of criticism, both internally and externally, and went on to write how Licht and other CNN executives that addressed the criticism in the coming days and weeks will be crucial. So he gets summoned up to the boss's office and the meeting, quote, put the fear of God into Oliver Darcy, who was left visibly shaken, per Puck News. Uh, according to Semaphore, a different news organization, in the aftermath of the meeting coverage, Darcy has wondered to colleagues whether he should resign or if he will be fired. All right, so that was interesting enough. But then let me get you to the real good stuff, okay? This is from, as I point out, Daily Beast, Lachlan Cartwright, and Justin Barragona. CNN's boss, Chris Licks, extreme sensitivity to any negative press, coverage of his reign, and his resulting attempt to intimidate the network's top media reporter in the wake of the disastrous Trump town hall has greatly alarmed staffers. So here's what happened, according to this report. 
Chris Lick didn't like the Oliver Darcy reporting. Chris Lick apparently got somebody to go speak with Fox News Digital and say that. Hold on, I'll get it. Stand by. CNN staffers were appalled by Oliver Darcy's report. Uh, And then the CNN staffers revolted, saying, F you, Chris Licht. Oliver Darcy's not the problem. You, platformer, you are the problem for turning CNN into a forum in which Donald Trump took over and got his message out uninterrupted, basically, well, interrupted, but unimpeded uh, to the American people. So um, they talked about the puck reporting. They go on to say that um, uh, after that, a CNN executive tells Confider that the people inside the building were very bothered by what they did with Fox News Digital, this attempt to smear Oliver Darcy. One said, quote, I heard zero complaints about Darcy's newsletter. In fact, the opposite. People were glad someone was calling this out. A CNN on-air personality added it, added, it's a terrible look that he's being muzzled or intimidated simply for saying what everyone is thinking. He's not in PR. He's a journalist. Okay. They went on to say he's not going to resign, but he did contemplate it, this media reporter. And it says as follows, CNN insiders say Licht has been spending an inordinately large amount of time around the Atlantic reporter, Tim Alberta who was profiling the executive after his first year in the office. Alberta was in the audience for the Trump town hall, which was described to confider as, quote, our Chernobyl by by Mm -hmm. one CNN staffer (laughs) as network spin doctors work overtime, hoping to generate a glowing profile of the boss. All of this happens as the network falls to fourth place in cable news primetime ratings on Friday night just two days after the Trump town hall, falling behind Newsmax. Then Oliver Darcy late last night puts out his own reliable sources newsletter. That's the thing Stelter used to do and points out um, that CNN averaged 335,000 in the overall on Friday night. My God, I would have been embarrassed to get that in the demo most nights on the Kelly file, which is the smaller, the younger audience. The overall, it should be above a million. It was 335,000. They point out, Oliver Darcy says, smaller audience from 8 to 11 than Newsmax. And he says, quote, it's unclear if the viewership decline was connected to the town hall. Chernobyl, guys, exactly the same. It's the same. I'm just glad that we've graduated from words are violence to words are catastrophic nuclear radioactive poison, (laughs) um, which I think is an accurate, uh, unless they're said by someone on a subway who's acting erratically and and saying he wants to die and then that should be treated differently. Um, No, this this shows this shows what uh, Chris Licht is. He's in Licht is in a pickle. Uh, Megan, because um, uh, his he's trying to change a news organization that has already changed beyond recognition. I mean, just think in terms of Anderson Cooper, Anderson Cooper, I mean, he was on my short list of people, as were you, Megan, and I'm not saying this to to uh, butter you up. I'd said this in other fora and even got criticized for it on the Bill Maher program. Um, he was a really good presidential debate moderator, at least on one or two occasions, like a good newsman on his best days. And then if you just happen to stumble into Anderson Cooper while channel surfing any time over the last six years, you're like, what the hell is this? Yeah. Like soggy emotionalism. I mean, that thing, I'm glad that he did express the sentiment like, hey, we're supposed to not stay in our silos. 
but he was breaking up. He was crying, uh, talking about it. And it felt like a hostage note. Like this is the the conditions under which he has to still work. CNN, I used to, when I first started doing uh, cable news as a guest uh, back around 2007 and eight, um, I first noticed this at Fox and would try to sort of struggle against it. There was a sense of the first person plural of the we, the assumed kind of political sense of things, not in every place and certainly not on uh, on uh, red eye where I went the most, but in many places. And like, it was just sort of strange for me with my news background. I began noticing that at MSNBC pretty shortly thereafter, and it was a stronger sense of we than the we that I had experienced over at Fox. Um, and But CNN was always considered to be, all right, that's more of a news thing. CNN has gotten into such the we business, and the we is we're defending democracy by making sure that we don't platform not just Trump, but by any, you know, January 6th denier, as uh, Jake Chapman. Tappers, he won't. They won't put on actual elected representatives who are in the Republican Party who don't agree with what they say about January 6th. I might not agree with those people too, but they are elected Republicans. They are. This is your country. Um, if you have any pretensions of being in the news business, uh, you have to deal with them. Tucker Carlson, if I'm not mistaken, had has more had more of an audience among Democrats than Anderson Cooper or anyone else has among humans. And mm-hmm. Tucker Carlson, I might add, who's a different character than almost anybody else on television, um, when he would get to the, you know, these are my politics, it was always him. It wasn't like there wasn't a we. He knew that he had an audience of people who were more politically cross-dressing than people in uh, that are watching CNN right now. So if Chris Licht is coming in there and saying, okay, we're going to fire Brian Stelter, we're going to get some of the emotionalism off. We're going to start doing it down the middle. He's going to find that his entire uh, organization has are, are still pretending like it's the summer of 2020 when you can do a staff wide revolt and uh, issue your petitions. We don't live in that world anymore, but it's really, really hard to change an existing legacy news media operation whose culture has changed so profoundly. That's so right. Least, It'd be one thing, guys, if. DeSantis got the nomination or Tim Scott or Nikki Haley, CNN might have a chance of playing it down the middle under the new edict. But there is zero chance of them landing that plane with Donald Trump as the nominee, which is yeah. you know what the smart bet is, as at least as of today. They can't do it. The town hall and the fallout after the ta- town hall prove it. No, the, the fallout was internal. And the fallout was not amongst the American people. I mean, normal people aren't talking about this stuff. I mean, as Matt says, this is a kind of dying empire. It, it reminds me, I went to a, a very waspy country club that Irish people like me are not typically allowed into in Massachusetts. And I looked around and I said, man, these people are living in a different era. The era of the wasp is over. That's what I look at when I see cable news. They don't notice it. And they're all high on their own supply. They're like, "We are." I'm Anderson Cooper. You get 300,000 people watching your show. I'm sorry, why why are people not paying attention to what the fifth column says? Because we get more listeners than you get viewers. I'm yes. sorry, I'm sorry to say no one's paying attention to us in the way that they're paying attention to them, because this is a completely dying world, a dying business. And you have somebody like Tucker Carlson who's gonna run out in a rail and he says, Look, I'm gonna do it on Twitter. I don't need cable news anymore. I'm going to bring my audience with me. My audience is portable and mobile. And, you know, you have guys like Oliver Darcy saying, like, they think this is a public works job. They think they work for the (laughs) MTA or something. Like, why can't I criticize my employer? Like, how dare you attack me for attacking my employer? I, sorry, grew up in an era where if you don't attack your employer, you don't piss inside the tent, that's considered insane to do. And to say, well, no, I'm just reporting. No, no, you're giving an opinion about how it was terrible that the decision that your new CEO made and you're expecting well, and you're coming. It depends on what his crying. role is, 
Like, what is, yeah. I don't know what Oliver Darcy's role is. You know, that if, yeah. if he's supposed to be like the ombudsman, you know, like the Washington Post used to have, yes. where there's a person yeah. sort of sitting outside the company, but really is employed by the company and is supposed to be free to say, oh, the company screwed up. This is BS journalism. That's one thing. That's certainly yeah. not what Brian Stelter was doing when he was no, there. He was Jeff Zucker's mouthpiece. He said whatever yeah. Jeff Zucker wanted him to say. Now Jeff Zucker's fired and so is Stelter. So I yeah. don't know what Oliver Darcy thinks he's doing over there. I do believe, however, the real problem is here. He was giving voice to the actual attitude inside of CNN, whether Chris Licht likes it or not. And to me, that's the news story that they're so fragile inside of CNN. They're in such a meltdown over the platforming of the guy who is dominating the GOP race by what was the latest, like 30, 40 points. It's not like he's up by two over DeSantis. Like who else would they be platforming if they want to take a look at the GOP race right now? I mean, when when, when, oh, go ahead, Monet. You know, just one quick point. I people used to complain that we would, um, people like uh, Matt and Camille and I would focus on the madness that had enveloped campus politics. But I would always point out this is the bleeding edge. This stuff is going mm-hmm. to overtake the sort of general population soon, and that's what you see at CNN. I mean, we used to have these conversations about about words being violence and no platforming, and we have to get rid of Alex Jones or something from YouTube rather than debate him or expose him as a loon. And now this is actually within mainstream news organizations and their um, remit is to tell you what the person who is up 30 points in the in the um, Republican primary is saying and is likely to be the nominee. And the fact that these weird things from the campus that people used to say, look, that's just extremist nonsense. And I was we always say that this is like, you know, edging closer and closer to the mainstream. But I never thought it would hit journalism. Because yeah. we were kind of siloed in that way that, mm. you know, we're talking about what is real in society, what people are talking about, and we can't sanitize it because it might make you uncomfortable. It's incredible that that's actually coming from inside the machine at CNN. It just means that they're no longer a news organization. Right here, the, here's the, the other al- thing on the, the fact checking. It's like, yeah. I'll give you the floor in one second. I just want to make one quick mm. point on it. Um, you don't have to fact check every single thing he says. Trump does lie a lot. A, a lot of politicians yes. do. Trump might be in a uh-huh. special class. Um yeah. But he does lie a lot. He says a lot of things that are not true. You don't have to fact check every single one. You know, pick your top five is basically mm-hmm. what I would have told <laughs> Caitlin Collins and and zero in on those so that the audience know knows this one actually really matters. Pay attention right here. If you're just mm-hmm. nitpicking the guy, it's annoying. You look rude. People start to, you know, tune out. It's like, oh, she hates him. So whatever I get. You don't. And like these people inside CNN seem to think that, you know, she should have been like, you ever watch pop-up video on VH1? You know, oh, yeah. it's like, it should have been like a little pop-up. That's a lie too. Yeah, yeah. And that's a yeah, lie. Yeah. Here's why. Don't give like, them ideas, God. Megan. Yeah. <laughs> the bubble would take over the screen. <laughs> there's, like there's smart there's... people are smart enough at home to figure out, okay, yeah. I've heard that enough times to know it's got a red flag on it. Anyway, keep going. Go ahead, Camille. Well, no, they, they, they certainly don't believe that people are smart enough at home. Correct. Like, their entire theory of the world appears to be that they can, by suppressing the bad people, make the world a better place and that mm-hmm. they can uh, affect electoral outcomes and that they will never, ever have their credibility impaired as a result of this like obvious games, uh, uh, um, sort of meddling with the game um, and the mechanics of the game. Uh, but it clearly has impacted their credibility. And there are so many good reasons why it has. And I, I know we're going to talk about some of those other things um, later, but that is the fundamental issue here. Like you imagine that you can simply not talk to these people, that you can simply only give voice to people who already agree and that you can parrot 
points of view back at them that they explicitly agree with. And you never, ever talk about the folks on the other side. I mean, I, I think that that is, except to demonize them. And I think that it, that is an obvious mistake if you're actually interested in persuasion. The fact that you're not, as you just said, Megan, going after every single point and trying to, to go down the line and interrupt at every moment, you're conserving your fire. You're hopefully making a more persuasive point. You're getting them at their most vulnerable spot. And you should be doing it, quite frankly, across the board to every, every political and politi policymaker that shows up on your platform and talk to them in precisely the same way. That, that is what viewers, I think viewers would reward that. That is what they want. I think Chris yeah, but, Licht is really yeah. flailing right now. He's really struggling. He, he doesn't, he is faced with this really tough problem of the fact that Jeff Zucker turned CNN into a left-wing hack job. I mean, it, it really, it had credibility. I said before, it was kind of boring, but it was pretty much down the middle. It had some left-wing bias, but not terrible. They did a good job of trying to hide it. And um, then he turned it into just a left-wing rag, basically, on television. And people knew, and they drew their, drove their Republicans who were watching it away. Um, I, too, I'm an independent, but I watch CNN all the time. They drove me away. I'm like, I can't watch this. This is insufferable. Uh, so how do they get me back when they've already told me that they hate, you know, people who think like me, they hate my ideals. They look down on me. Like, I'm not going to watch that. Plus, I don't think they're fact-based. That's their other problem. They used to be, and they're no longer. So this brings me to the, the programming decisions that Chris Licht is now making. Now, we heard that he's bringing on Gail King. And Charles Barkley to host a show. God only That'll knows. Solve God it. God <laughs> Problem God solved, God Megan. Okay, that we'll see oh, that. Man. And before that, he brought on Chris Wallace. Now Jeff Zucker brought him over, I think. Right? It was Jeff Zucker, not Chris Wallace. I, I think so. Track of the firings, um, but he's there. And they put him on Sundays. Chris Wallace had the fourth-rated Sunday show on Fox News Sunday. It was not doing well. But it was a fair show. He was by far the fairest of the Sunday anchors. And he was, I think, the toughest questioner. It's just Wallace is a little prickly and has never been a huge hit with the audience. That's just the honest truth, with all due respect to him as a journalist. Um, then he had the presidential debate, which was very biased, in my opinion, against Trump. And that was the end of it for him and the Fox audience. Um, and so now he goes to CNN and he's going to sort of do non-politics. He's going to do more of like, I don't know, it's like Larry King in the softer interviews, not not with politicos. And they put it on Sunday morning. It totally bombs. They, they got nobody. Um, then they just moved it to Friday nights. Oh my God. I mean, Moynihan's dating life in high school had yeah. more action than what's yes. happening. <laughs> you mean he's doing yes. incredibly well? I didn't know his ratings were that high, Megan. Thank you for putting that I mean, it's dreadful. He actually lost to Newsmax. Again, Newsmax isn't even in, like, they've got millions more homes with CNN than they do yeah. that have Newsmax. And yet Greg Kelly beat him at 10 p.m. this Friday night. I would submit to the jury it is because what happened on Friday night were exchanges like the following uh, shown shown here oh, no. watch we got to do that together the oh, tracks of mine oh, the, the tracks, tracks of, of my tears, tears. all right oh, no, please hey man what are you doing uh this weekend i'm, <laughs> I'm doing some concerts this weekend no no, no you actually want to get people there not drive them away yeah this is good advice Ooh, for chris Lips too smokey robinson he's done all, he's got a lot of big names i mean we um yeah. sure 
Oh, God. Who's the guy who played Wolverine? Hugh. Jackman. Hugh Jackman. Thank you. Hugh Jackman. I just saw him in, uh, on Broadway. <laughs> anyway, he's gotten a lot of big names, but nobody's watching. Absolutely no one's watching. Like, mm. they don't get it. Okay, now th this leads me to Fox, okay? Because the thing, the thing that CNN needs and doesn't have is they need a programming genius. They need somebody who mm. actually understands what will make, who are, who's our core audience and what will make them tune in. Fox News is going through something similar. They really are. And that leads me to Beth Ailes. And an extraordinary tweet, extraordinary. The, the widow of Roger Ailes um, last night tweeted out the following. Happy heavenly birthday, Roger Ailes. It took you 20 years to build Fox News into the powerhouse that it was, and only six years for the Murdochs to wreak havoc. Rupert thought he could do your job. What a joke. He has the checkbook, but could never come close to your genius. Rest in peace. Whoa. Whoa, mm. I haven't heard her say anything, anything. Oh, at know. all or since Roger was ousted from Fox. And then she weighs in with that. And I got to hand it again to Confider over Daily Beast uh, and Lachlan Cartwright, who did what journalists are supposed to do. Yeah. He saw the tweet, picked up his phone, and he cold called her and mm. got her talking. I mean, literally, minutes. I haven't <laughs> seen this person do an interview in the, the entire time since Roger was ousted, never mind died. And he, this is what he reports. Confider saw that tweet, immediately cold called Elizabeth, and then spent, who then spent half an hour absolutely railing against the Murdoch family and their handling of a post-Ales Fox News. Quote, Roger never had his hand off the wheel when it came to Fox. I agree. Megyn Kelly speaking there. Uh, contrasting it with the Murdochs, who she said, quote, weren't born here and don't have the same pedigree. Roger was born, he was raised in Ohio, in Youngstown, Ohio, where he dug ditches for a living. He understood America, middle America. He understood the coastal elites. He knew exactly who the audience was and what the need was for Fox News to be born in the first place. And he did have his hands on the steering wheel, 10 and 2 the entire time, mostly mm. because this thing pulls to the left, as he used to say about news, but also because mm. it can pull too far to the right. And Roger knew when to course correct when that happened too. She goes on to say about Lachlan Murdoch, I was told he's a spear fisherman. I don't know if he spends time in the office. This is one of the criticisms of him, that when he came in and took over, what he really wanted to do was run the movie studios, not be stuck at 1211 6th Avenue running, you know, the, the cable operation, which isn't as sexy as the Hollywood stars. Recalled that Roger used to refer to Brothers James and Lachlan as Tweedledum and Tweedledumber, respectively. I can also <laughs> confirm that, having heard it many times from Roger Ailes. But she saved most of her ire for the patriarch, Rupert whom she described as a jealous man who fired her husband because Roger eclipsed Rupert on the world stage. Now I've got some thoughts on that, too. Um, she likened Tucker Carlson's firing to her late husband's ouster, claiming the Murdochs figured out how to chop off his, his head when he became too big. This is fascinating. She knew Roger better than anyone. And I have to say, she's got some very valid points in there, guys, about what she's essentially saying is it took six years for Fox News to collapse in its core mission from the time Roger was ousted, that no one other than Roger has been able to do it and that the Murdochs don't have the vision or the desire or the capability to make it happen. What do you think? It, 
It's been amazing. However, I think that's a, a managerial. Uh, it's it's accurate or plausible uh, from a managerial standpoint. We've heard that about the Murdoch kids forever. There's a, always been a succession battle. Um, and Roger Ailes for those. And I never met him. I worked for him as a Camille, um, uh, you know, in theory. But uh, um, uh, he was the genius. The people from the outside who are always like, "Oh God, Murdoch over at Fox News." As long as Roger Ailes was alive, that wasn't the that wasn't the issue that you really had. The issue was Roger Ailes. He he ran the place. It was his vision. It was his idea. Fox has kept most of its audience until very recently. Um, that's yeah. the area in which uh, her complaints or her analysis, uh, I think, needs to be complicated. That and, and also she said that Eric Bowling was part of the people who got fired because he was too big. I don't, I don't think that was the problem with Eric Bowling. No, with respect to Eric, was, too no. Big. <laughs> was it too big? Is that what no, Eric complained? No, don't. <laughs> I told you. Come on. To, I, come um, on. Let me do it. Go ahead. Uh, deep cut. Um, no, uh, but, Eric, uh, oh, I love Eric. But, but ma managerially, um, I think that there's absolutely something uh, to that. Um, the the you can tell from outside the building, and I have no intel on the inside, um, but that it it lacks the same kind of cohesive managerial structure. You knew Roger Ailes was in charge. You worked uh, at his. Uh, behest and you worked and his vision was out there every single day in one way or the other. Um, I'm not sure what that vision is now. And I think that people uh, do become kind of too big or too uh, uh, not controllable by the Murdochs because they don't have their hands on the system the same way. You know, Suzanne Scott um, is not uh, uh, doesn't command the same kind of respect within the building. I don't think I, I, I no, would guess no, that Roger Ailes did. I'm, I'm being nice. Um yeah. So uh, I, I think it's fascinating that she's uh, that she's talking and that she's dishing. Um, and it, it it points to, I think, the most plausible theory still to me so far of Tucker Carlson's uh, firing was that he would built a center of independence from the managerial team within. And uh, and they couldn't have that. That plus all the lawsuits were probably starting to get a little bit difficult around the edges. But um, I think it, it seems like that attitude from the Murdochs is one that they're going to continue to revisit. As soon as someone becomes sort of problematic, they've become bigger than Fox in their point of view, then they can uh, get rid of them. Um, and at some point, um, and that point might be now with Carlson's audience in that hour, um, yeah. they will start to finally lose audience because up to now, they've still managed to kind of win um, their basic business. The, look, there's something you can't, there's no answer to this, obviously, of what would Roger Ailes have done. But you know, Roger Ailes, for all of his many faults, was a political genius at television, a political television genius, a very specific thing. If you go back and read Joe McGinnis's book from 1968, The Selling of the President, I mean, who is the key player in that who is, is trying to kind of make Nixon a kind of TV guy? In watching Roger Ailes as a young man in that book, you're like, man, this guy is really something. He's kind of a magician. And he did that at Fox for a very long time. He saw a market opportunity. There was a big glaring hole in the market and he filled it. And the one thing, the what if though, is, you know, Roger Ailes dies in 2017. How do you handle the Trump phenomenon as a, you know, a news organization that leans right? Because this is the complete blowing up of the traditional Republican Party coalition. And, you know, Roger, as you as you said, Megan, was somebody who kept a check on on, you know, going too far to the right. And it fires Glenn Beck when he's the highest rated guy on the network because he's scribbling on chalkboards and looking a bit crazy, to be honest. And I think Roger acknowledged that and said, you know, no more of this. So I really wonder I, I just uh, to say that the the current I don't you're not a huge fan of Suzanne Scott and and I think last time on the show you um, 
told me, which I didn't know, that she used to run hair and makeup, which I think is pretty interesting. Yeah. But I don't yeah. think that she's doing a great job over there. But at the same time, I'm just to be nice to everyone in this, is that it is a very, very tough time to take over when you look at Republican politics and how much they've changed in the kind of populist, uh, like, like re, uh, let's say, revivification of the Republican Party as this populist thing. How to do that on television is pretty tough. It was a lot easier when it was kind of Bush Republicans versus sort of ordinary Democrats. Now you have these AOC populist end, you have the Trump populist end, and it confuses things. So, I mean, he, I don't, he would I have known how to Rogers, do it. She is right suspect, about instinct. I suspect he She's probably right would that, have, he, yeah. that Rupert doesn't have the instinct for what to do right now with this audience. And yeah. Roger absolutely would have. He would have understood. I worked with him. Let me tell you something right now. Suzanne Scott and Bill Shine used to run over to me because I met with Roger all the time and they'd say, what did he say? What did he say about this? What did he say about that? He didn't share anything with them. She has absolutely no tutelage to call back on because he didn't mentor her. He didn't mentor mentor any of his executives. He wanted to keep them unsteady. Yeah. He had zero desire to share his leadership vision with any of them. I guarantee you, I know more about it than she does. I guarantee you. Um, he would have understood that he would have to fold in Trump's views to the core programming in a way that was defensive of them while trying to hold on to their national review flank. He had already yeah. come to understand that even though he was against Trump's populism, he understood the channel's too one dimensional in its coverage of Republican politics. And we're going to lose our Ohio ditch digging flank in favor of the national reviewers if we don't do something about what's on our air right now. And that's when he started to bring in more contributors who were pro-Trump and saying what Trump was saying. And, you know, a lot of people internally were like, what are you doing? Why are we doing that? He's like, out of respect for the audience. He understood it before anybody else did. And he would have navigated the Trump presidency perfectly. I really have no, no doubt of that. Roger's problems were never that he didn't get the audience, that he didn't have a genius ability to program, both when it came to content and selecting talent. What ultimately brought him down was a combination of what she said and a real problem with women. And mm -hmm. I've thought about mm -hmm. this a lot and I've talked to Janice Dean about it a lot. And she was one of the women who came forward and worked with me to make sure women understood that we were talking and that it was safe to talk. Um, I think we both believe that while there were some two dozen women who came forward with complaints about ales, some that were deeply disturbing. All right. Let me just reassure the audience of that. This wasn't like a passing remark like mm he may have made to Gretchen Carlson. Some people were really harassed in a way that was dark, okay, and abused. Um, so that was a real problem. But I do think she's right that it was used. It was used to get rid of him by a family. I mean, in particular, the sons who wanted him gone. I don't think Rupert wanted Roger gone, though. I don't think it was Rupert. I think it was the sons who were ready for him to move on. And Gretchen filed that lawsuit and then the rest of us came forward and they saw an opportunity. And that was the end of Roger. And, and, you know, there's some sort of. I don't know. It makes me feel sad that I and maybe others were used in that way, but I also can't say I regret it because there's no way he could have stayed in that office. There's no way a man doing that many bad things to that many young women who just are trying to make it in journalism should have remained in power. No way. That part yeah. is omitted from her tweet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Which, well, to, to step to step away from the person of Roger for a moment and to to speak to this kind of broader question of how things might have played out differently, um, were someone like him in the media ecosystem and able to help shepherd a, a network through the Trump era um, and the transformation of the, the Republican Party in particular, 
Um, it, it is interesting to imagine what the dustups might have looked like with a network boss and Donald Trump uh, once he got this, once he was unhappy with what he was seeing on the network um, and sort of started to throw darts. I, mean, I think that, if if nothing else, uh, can kind of push your buttons in a very particular way and create a, a climate of concern inside of the network. Um, you could see people making all sorts of kind of panic decisions about the sort of programming and people who ought to be there. Um, and uh, perhaps having that kind of genuine fear about whether or not the audience might actually defect from them, which is the sort of stuff that you actually saw talked about openly in those text messages that came out um, during the, the the recent legal proceedings. Dominion. Yeah, that's exactly the, right. Well, I think that was another opportunity for somebody to steer the boat, you know, and steadily. And they didn't have it. You know, she points out mm -hmm. the Dominion lawsuit. That was one thing that was mishandled. The aftermath after the election and the you know, false election claims. And I'll tell you, I've said this before, but one thing Roger would have done was protect the news division, which hasn't happened here. They have not been mm. protected. And that was the one and main and most important source of Fox's credibility. And they've sacrificed it. There's, there's no one's protecting them. They fired Chris Dyerwald and Bill Salmon, two of the best respected journalists behind the scenes yeah. in Fox News to, as a pander. But then they got rid of their most beloved host, who was out there giving voice to a whole line of contrary thinking, contrarian thinking, uh, that wasn't espoused any place. They don't know what they're doing. They don't understand the mission as Roger uh, believed it to be when he launched the channel back in 1996. It's also worth pointing out that when you fire uh, Chris Dyerwalt, who's a brilliant guy and an interesting guy, and Bill Salmon, who's been somebody around the kind of conservative firmament for a long time at the Washington Times, the Examiner, et cetera, it's a sop to who? Nobody who's angry about this stuff notices that. If you ask anybody who's even marginally involved in politics, they don't know who these people are. So right. why bother doing it? I mean, <clears throat> what Roger Ailes had, the other thing was the, the, the luck in some sense um, of not having a lot of places where people could defect to. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if Chris Ruddy had started Newsmax at that point. The magazine had been long for, around for a long time, the website too. But once there was an, actually another place for people to go, two other places, you know, OAN, which is the real kind of extreme end of this, and Newsmax, which is sort of, you know, more towards the Fox end, but more with the populist tinge, um, that is something that the, the new bosses have to contend with. And you see that in Tucker Carlson's text when they see, says, you know, we're going to lose our audience here. You didn't have to have that conversation before. Like, where are they going to go? CNN, MSNBC? And I think, Megan, it's pure speculation that it's right that I think that he, Roger Ailes seeing what he had done. I mean, I didn't know the guy as you did. That, And by the way, it's also uh, pretty interesting and admirable from a journalistic perspective that you separate the art from the artist in a way. And, mm -hmm. you know, because all the stuff that you went through with him and actually talking about him as a kind of media guy and as kind of a media genius in the way that he was and throughout his whole career. But I, you know, it is, it seems to me that that balance is something that is a difficult thing to do that, as you put, put it, the sort of national review wing, the kind of more traditional free market conservative wing and the populist one, that balance is possible. It's not one or the other. And Tucker was a huge part of that balance. If you like him yeah. or you don't like him, that was where those people were being satiated at Fox and you get rid of him. I just don't know what the hell you're doing. It just doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense to me. Yes, you're so right. I would never take away and never did take away Roger's genius. And, you know, one thing I'll say about that movie Bombshell, I've been critical of Charlize Theron this week for other mm -hmm. reasons. But one thing I'll say about that movie was I thought they did a good job in capturing that I really cared for Roger. I cared for mm -hmm. him deeply. 
he was a mentor to me. He he really helped me uh, throughout the course of my journalism career. And I learned a ton from him. And, you know, I would not I would not have the career I have right now had it not been for his help. And and I don't even just mean the opportunities he gave me. I mean, also just the advice he gave me and the, he showed me how to cover news in a fair and balanced way. But, you know, but I also wasn't going to lie on his behalf. I wasn't going to lie. I had a feeling I might not be the only one. And when when the issue was put to me directly, is he capable of this? I, there was just no way I was going to lie, not given my own history, not given my time as a lawyer, not given my affinity for the women I worked with and not knowing what I knew, which was that at least Janice Dean had a story like mine, too. So it was just an impossible situation. And it, I really feel like the reverberations from all that we went through at Fox back in 16 when this happened, we're still watching play out. It's still there percolating. And Beth Ailes's tweet raised it again in a way that I thought was, you know, rang true on, let's say, 90 percent of what mm -hmm. she wrote. All right. Stand by, you guys. Quick break. And then more with the fifth column. They stay with us for the show. Attention. If you owe the IRS, this is an important announcement. COVID relief is over and the IRS is ramping up like never before, sending out millions of collection letters to start 2024. Do you owe $10,000 or more or have unfiled returns? Now is the time to act. The IRS can garnish your wages, seize your property, and they can even take your home or your business. Don't let the IRS take advantage of you. It's time to call Tax Network USA. Their team of experienced tax lawyers has already saved over $1 billion in tax debt for their clients. They know how to negotiate with the IRS and can help you, too. Visit TNUSA.com or call 1-800-245-6000. Again, that's 1-800-245-6000. Don't wait until it's too late. Take control of your tax situation today with Tax Network USA. 1-800-245-6000. Call now. You're cruising down the highway, windows rolled down, tunes blasting from the radio. You're in the zone and living the dream. Suddenly, your car sputters, coughs, and throws a wrench in your whole day. Tow trucks, repair bills, the dream turns into a nightmare. Don't wait until car trouble steals your peace of mind. Visit CarShield now at carshield.com carlson. For nearly 20 years, CarShield has helped millions of drivers avoid the stress of major repairs. They offer plans covering up to 5,000 parts and systems, from your engine and transmission to electronics and more, all for a low monthly rate that fits your budget. CarShield plans also include unlimited miles, 24-7 roadside assistance, and rental options. Get peace of mind now. Visit CarShield online at carshield.com carlson. Join millions of customers and contact CarShield now to save 20%. Visit carshield.com carlson. That's carshield.com slash Carlson. Visit now. Guys, as if on cue, as we are deconstructing the media situation right now, Barack Obama weighs in on what the real problem is right now. The thing that scares him the most in oh, no. an interview that aired today on CBS This Morning. Listen to this. Post-presidency. What about this country <clears throat> keeps you up at night? The thing that I'm most worried about is the degree to which we now have a divided conversation, in part because we have a divided media. But when I was coming up, you had three TV stations. Yeah. And 
people were getting a, a similar sense of what is true and what isn't, what was real and what was not. Today, what I'm most concerned about is the fact that because of the splintering of the media, we almost occupy different realities. Hmm. Hmm. Remember the good old days when he controlled everyone? Hmm. <laughs> really Thankfully, he never could. Yeah. But, uh, no, all those good, old, every single bit of alternative journalism, we've forgotten about this now because all journalism for a while um, under Roger Ailes, he created an alternative form of journalism. Before that, there was the alternative form of journalism of, of, uh, of AM talk radio, which was overwhelmingly conservative. Some of the early internet the, under Andrew Breitbart and other people, Drudge Report was right of center. So people in their minds and the media think of alternative journalism now as being kind of right of center. But in fact, the early alternative journalism, a lot of it was left wing. It was the village voice. Uh, it was all the underground papers of the sixties. It was Rolling Stone magazine. Um, it was left of the center. It was a it was a critique of how much the best and the brightest uh, generation had screwed up. They had taken this perceived legitimacy and and greatness, and they had absolutely screwed the pooch all over the country again and again and again. Um, and so to harken back to that time is to harken back to being self bamboozled and uh, and it's disreputable. We should like as much chaos and and uh, and innovation and growth in media. Um, and, you know, if you don't like the way that people lie and have alternative realities, when you were in political power, stop lying. I wish you would have yeah. done that. He didn't. We, what about it, guys? We, we'd still be in masks mm -hmm. and having no negative reporting about side effects from the vaccine. And um, we would still be believing that Trump colluded with Russia. We'll get to the Durham report in our next block. If it weren't for alternative sources of media, if it, weren't, if it were the way it was in the good old days that he's referring to. Everything that he said was true up until that. I mean, we do have a divided conversation. We do have a divided mm -hmm. media. I don't think that's a bad thing. He does seem to think that's a bad thing. And I'm not somebody that harkens back and, and you know, is nostalgic for uh, the sort of corporate control of three major networks plus PBS. I don't think that was a good thing. And I think the freedom that the Internet has, has given people has, scares the establishment. That's why they want to deplatform mm -hmm. people and Completely. push people off of, you know, put you know YouTube and put them on. You know, that's why Rumble comes up. If this was not true. If it was not true that there was one direction that the media drifted in, in the past, when these opportunities came up, they would not have been filled, as Matt pointed out, by the Drudge Report, by Fox News, by blogs, by podcasts. And that's why it happened, because we knew which direction it was going and people wanted a different different uh, perspective and they got it. And that's great. Yep, exactly right. All right. We're going to pick it up there. And when we come back, we will deconstruct. I love that, that, that leftist term, um, the Durham report and tell you what's happening with that. It's actually just so embarrassing for the FBI, for Andrew McCabe and for Jim Comey in particular. Uh, and now we know the source of the Trump P tape rumors. We know who got it started. We know who uh, leaked it and who seemed to work hard to get it into the Steele dossier. And wait until you hear who he's connected with. Fifth column, guys, stay with us. And don't forget, folks, you can find The Megyn Kelly Show live on Sirius XM Triumph Channel 111 every weekday at noon east. The full video and show and clips by subscribing to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Megyn Kelly. And if you want to hear from me on Fridays, I send you a fun email. Just go to MeganKelly.com and you can sign up for it there. It's getting lots of great traffic and I read all of your emails. You're cruising down the highway, windows rolled down, tunes blasting from the radio. You're in the zone and living the dream. Suddenly, your car sputters, coughs, and throws a wrench in your whole day. Tow trucks, repair bills, the dream turns into a nightmare. Don't wait until car trouble steals your peace of mind. Visit CarShield now at carshield.com Carlson. 
For nearly 20 years, CarShield has helped millions of drivers avoid the stress of major repairs. They offer plans covering up to 5,000 parts and systems, from your engine and transmission to electronics and more, all for a low monthly rate that fits your budget. CarShield plans also include unlimited miles, 24-7 roadside assistance, and rental options. Get peace of mind now. Visit CarShield online at carshield.com slash carlson. Join millions of customers and contact CarShield now to save 20%. Visit carshield.com slash carlson. That's carshield.com slash carlson. Visit now. Okay, guys, so the Durham report is out. Um, this is actually, I think it's interesting. You know, it's not like earth shattering, but it's disgusting. I mean, what he concluded is disgusting. And he's suggesting he, he probably would have brought criminal charges, more criminal charges, if he could try anybody outside of Washington, D.C., where, you know, it was 95 percent for Hillary, 95 percent for Biden. There's zero chance of convictions there. He tried it a couple of times. Um, so I don't think the fact that there are no criminal cases coming out of this tells us much. And I'm actually fine with it, too, because we don't really want to become a banana republic where as soon as the one guy's out of the office, we start arresting everybody uh, who worked for him. So, OK, that's fine. But that is not to dismiss the substance of what this guy found. Now, his investigation was launched in 2019 under Attorney General Bill Barr, and he was looking into the origins of the FBI's investigation of Trump, the so-called crossfire hurricane FBI investigation to see whether Trump colluded with Russia in the context of getting elected. We now know he didn't. We now know that the FBI knew he didn't, but tried to cobble together an investigation anyway because they so hated Trump. And Durham finally comes up. Durham, keep in mind, Durham was praised by both sides as a no nonsense straight shooter when he got selected, right? The left had no problem with John Durham being selected to do this. Now they're like, oh, John Durham sucks. But this is what he reported in a 300 page report uh, released yesterday. The DOJ and the FBI failed to uphold their mission of strict fidelity to the law in looking into these allegations and figuring out whether there was a case to be had against Trump and in the conduct of that investigation. The FBI used raw, unanalyzed and uncorroborated intelligence. Senior, I'm quoting, senior FBI personnel displayed a serious lack of analytical rigor towards information that they received, especially information received from politically affiliated persons and entities. And he means Hillary. That's what he means, the Hillary Clinton campaign. The department did not adequately examine or question these materials and the motivations of those providing them. They did not and could not corroborate any of the substantive allegations contained in the controversial Steele dossier. That's the thing that alleged Trump went over to Russia, hired some Russian prostitutes and had them pee on a bed in the presidential suite that Barack Obama had allegedly stayed in years earlier, among other things in that Steele dossier, which has been totally discredited. He writes, we conclude that the Justice Department and FBI failed to uphold their important mission of strict fidelity to the law in connection with certain events and activities described in this report. However, it does not recommend any wholesale changes in the guidelines and policies at DOJ or FBI uh, that they now have in place to ensure proper conduct and accountability and how counterintelligence activities are carried out. Andrew McCabe was the guy in charge of counterintelligence. Um, He's now absolutely a darling of the left, and there will be no accountability for him publicly for what he did, sicking the FBI on the Trump campaign, sicking the FBI on people like Carter Page, um, Papadopoulos. 
who this makes clear they knew there was nothing there there. This was based on the flimsiest evidence ever to go after those guys and get warrants from the FISA court. And they absolutely understood they didn't have it, but they wanted to get him anyway. There are quotes of Peter Strzok at the time inside saying essentially exactly that. Uh, And just to just to tell you what I teased before the break, uh, they also report that the person behind the infamous P rumor that Trump did that in the Russian hotel was none other, according to Durham, he believes it was. PR exec and Clinton ally Charles Dolan, that Charles Dolan is the one who provided this information to to this Igor Denchenko, who got it into the Steele dossier. And Charles Dolan, working uh, in close with Hillary, went over to Russia. He went into the hotel. He got a tour of the presidential suite. uh, And that's where it was born. That that rumor, which was totally unsubstantiated. Durham actually went over there and spoke with all the witnesses in the hotel. He actually did his homework. It wasn't true. It never happened. And indeed, Trump, the one time he stayed in that hotel, did not stay in the presidential suite. He stayed in an entirely different room. The whole thing was made up and then it was saddled on Trump uh, in, in such a way that still has his supporters believing, not without foundation, that his first term was stolen from him, having to deal with this nonsense, which was a fabrication by Hillary and a compliant, complicit FBI. What do you guys make of it? There's a, uh, a phrase that people use in the media oftentimes, the ones who are uh, crying at CNN platforming Donald Trump, where that uh, they perceive Trump and certain people in the conservative movement of, they accuse them of working the refs, of taking the existing standards that are supposed to be kind of objective or supposed to be fair, and knowing that people have to kind of report to or respond to factual stimulus or controversies in such a way that you can launder things that are not true. I'm struck by that because I've been hearing that for most of my career. Um, and this is that in action in the absolute opposite way of the people who normally talk about that. This is people working the levers of the FBI and of the national security apparatus who know those levers, who know how it's done. And they successfully planted a piece of hot steaming garbage in the middle of a campaign. Recall that Hillary Clinton was in that, uh, uh, a presidential debate, like uh, calling Donald Trump a puppet of Vladimir Putin. Of course, he's like, no, you're the puppet. And so it became that was what people <laughs> pointed to. No but puppet. Hillary Clinton called him a puppet of Vladimir Putin in a presidential debate. This is how she approached it. And she's someone who would, you know, you would think that she would know having been uh, been uh, in in uh, the in government for so long and in those positions. Um, it's appalling, as is the media's response to this. Even yes. today, Oliver Darcy, who we talked about last hour um, in his newsletter this morning, which the little the tagline at the top is, I'm still here. So he's being brave um, inside of CNN. Um, he dismisses this as, you know, a conservative said that this was going to bring arrests. It didn't. And so, you know, uh, yet another a report that just doesn't uh, deliver on promises. Well, that's one way a media reporter might look at this. Mm-hmm. I might suggest there's another way a media reporter might look at this is, I don't know, look at one of the many, many, many super clips out there on Twitter. Tom Elliott is someone who does these uh, every day, it seems like, of people on MSNBC, of people like Adam Schiff, 
people like Rachel Maddow and all of these deep state liars. And I'm now just saying former, you know, people, heads of the CIA, CIA and and the former directors of national intelligence, people uh, who have been given contributor contracts on cable news networks, just lying about this and saying and intimating not just that the Steele dossier is, is true, but the P-tape stuff, which is absurd on its face if you knew anything about Donald Trump. And I tried not to, but I knew that he was a germaphobe. Germaphobes <laughs> don't like getting beat on from what I understand. No, um, they don't. Uh, you would think that this would be an occasion for people who ever said anything that wasn't true about this, who ever said, well, look, you know, these people probably know what they're talking about. And so you would think that would be the time that they would look at that and say, gosh, I was a little bit wrong there. No, they're saying that Republicans are pouncing, that it didn't uh, deliver on the promises. Um, this is shameful. This is what extends people's long uh, growing distrust in media and the way this was done. This is a pretty bad episode in American intelligence and law enforcement and media, and it's not getting better judging by the early reaction to it. Shame well on you, said. Matt Welch. Why are you protecting him? Why are you protecting him? Why won't you tell the truth about the, uh, <laughs> the Venturian president? Um, it, it really is extraordinary to watch um, like uh, Rachel Maddow talk about this and talk about all of the Republican excitement and how they were waiting for all of the indictments. They were waiting for the revelations of the huge scandal um, when there is another scandal that is worth talking about here. And I do think that while it is it is egregious that politics was permitted to creep into a criminal investigation, and I think that the recommendations in particular in the Durham report um, are are seemingly quite quite sensible and sane, incredibly reasonable, um, and the highlighting of concern around the FBI impugning its own reputation in this way um, as a result of this um, kind of botched investigation, it's totally sensible. I didn't hear any of those things get responded to. Instead, it was only the kind of hysterical overstatement on the part of Donald Trump. And this is in a, a way him giving them a cudgel with which to beat him. He promised mm. that this would be, you know, the gravest crime of the century and that heads would roll, et cetera, et cetera. It didn't turn out to be that. And that is one reason perhaps why it's prudent to allow these investigations to take shape than to deal with the revelations when they come out. I understand I'm perhaps a bit naive because that's not how politics is played. But it might have, might have been better. At least then you'd be in a better position to appropriately and on the merits impugn people um, like Rachel Maddow, who were way out over their skis, promising that the other shoe was about to drop with respect to this story. I mean, these are the people who should be the most embarrassed by these revelations and, quite frankly, outraged. Uh, by the fact that people in the intelligence community have at different times like doubled down on these uh, these narratives uh, about the the president being in bed with Vladimir Putin and being controlled by Vladimir Putin. It's the sort of thing that we would hear over and over and over again. Um, and it's it's taken a while for for this report to materialize. Uh, but having waited so long, I, I'm not going to be the one who's comparing the number of indictments between this and the Mueller report, which people also waited for with bated breath. Because that isn't the measure of whether or not this is credible and worthwhile. I mean, the fact that this never quite panned out, that they never had any sort of cooperation of the stuff in the Steele dossier, which they used to secure warrants for spying on American citizens, like that is egregious. The people, people should be materially outraged about this on the left and the right. It should be the sort of thing that we don't want to see repeated again. But instead, there are particular kinds of people who are happy to ignore this or to downplay it uh, because it is consistent with their politics to do so. They, they can't. Is, the press cannot be outraged because they were they were 
willing participants in it. They allowed themselves unquestioningly to be used. So the, the FBI gets the Steele dossier full of lies based on the sourcing we just discussed and leaks it to the press. Then the press writes articles about the Steele dossier, which have no skepticism in them whatsoever. Then the FBI uses those press articles to go into the FISA court to say, look at the press reports about what's ha- what's in the Steele dossier and what's out there and gets warrants to spy on private American citizens based on that rope dope in which the press willingly participated. Meanwhile, we now know that, you know, flash forward a few years when Trump's um, he's running for reelection and Biden's running for election and we're days before the election and the Hunter Biden laptop drops. And we now know that that the CIA was running around trying to get former intelligence and counterintelligence officials to sign on to that dopey letter, which was full of lies. That's the CIA, the FBI and the DOJ. Now, you would be called a conspiracy theorist if without this evidence, without the Durham report, without this reporting that has outed these guys, you said, oh, that's deep state. They're in on it. You know, they're trying to bring down Donald Trump. It's true. You know what? Can we just run the Barack Obama soundbite one more time? Let's just run it. This is why he's so wrong. This is why we desperately need alternative media sources as opposed to his three chosen ABC, CBS and NBC, none of whom was questioning these reports as they were being delivered. They were reveling in them. Listen to him again. Post-presidency, what about this country keeps you up at night? The thing that I'm most worried about is worried about the degree to which we now have a divided conversation, in part because we have a divided media. But when I was coming up, you had three TV stations. Yeah. And people were getting a, a similar sense of what is true and what isn't, what was real and what was not. Today, what I'm most concerned about is the fact that because of the splintering of the media, we almost occupy different realities. Wow. Mm. <laughs> Talk about not accurately assessing the problem when it comes to American communication right now that maybe back when Walter Cronkite was on. I don't know. I was too young. I know everybody loved him. But the media we had prior to the birth of alternative media it was not it was not a trustworthy media. And we should not be hearkening back to those days. Well, if you look at, you know, the media that we're seeing now and Matt has pointed out that there are people um, who are making these sort of collections of clips. And I apologize for my um, image being frozen because the FBI is onto me and the deep state is trying to get my internet connection. <laughs> it's it's very, good, very frustrating. But um, what, what, you know, it's, it's an amazing thing because, you know, you have somebody from the FBI, like Peter Strzok, and I saw this today. These are people who are referring to Donald Trump as an asset, an mm-hmm. asset. They know what this phrase means. They're people mm-hmm. in the FBI. And when you look at the kind of scope of this, these are the same people that are talking endlessly, breathlessly, about misinformation and disinformation. What does one call this at the end of the day? If you're saying that the president of the United States is in the control or the pay of the Kremlin, this is lunacy. And so the response to this today has been, well, you know, there's a lot of lot of nothing going on here. Well, I'll tell you what, an indictment is not what I'm interested in. I'm interested in the kind of etymology of this case. And look, yeah. I, I like I'll even acknowledge very honestly. And, you know, this Eli Lake wrote a very good piece about this for Commentary Magazine a couple of years He's ago. It was called Guilty But Framed. Uh, which is about right. There's some stuff that's really smells. I mean, Paul, the Paul Manafort stuff, I don't think is above board and I don't think it's okay. But 
when you have that sort of desire to go deep into it and say, we're going to, you know, let's, let's also point out something that is really, really important here. And it's the tribal affiliations overtaking consistency. Because mm -hmm. during the Bush years, who was talking about rubber stamp FISA courts? Who was talking yeah. about not trusting the intelligence after Iraq, not allowing intelligence agencies to run rampant and just trust? That was people on the left. And now when you see the most interesting part of the Durham report, and I, I'm a complete loser, so I spent this morning reading it in bed. I really should have done something different. I should have got an exercise. But I'm reading this, the Papadopoulos um, wiretaps in stuff that, like as Durham points out, is kept out of the re-up of the, of the FISA warrant in which he's saying over and over to this, to this source, uh, this FBI source, that, yeah, there's nothing here. I don't know what they're talking about. And it's in no uncertain terms. It's saying, like, this is kind of crazy that they think, you know, Trump is, uh, you know, in bed with the Kremlin and kind of they're pulling his puppet strings. This is nuts. If that was allowed, and again, you know, the problem with the FISA courts is that they approve 99% of the warrants in front of them. Maybe that would have had some sort of effect. But even knowing that, they didn't include it. And that's a problem because the problem is they have investigators shouldn't have a conclusion when they're starting their investigation. And that seemed to be the, the major takeaway from from this document. They knew they knew that the, the, the White House was advised. The FBI knew that Hillary Clinton was planning on pushing this lie that Trump had colluded with the Russians in the context of his campaign. They knew they didn't they didn't care. And the report also reveals that the Russians knew the Russians knew that she was planning on saying this years before and took advantage of it. They, they don't care. They don't care what truth is. They just want to sow chaos over here in the United States. That's been their plan for years now. So they all knew that she was she was going to push this lie. Then she did push this lie. Then the FBI ran with this lie. Then they get the Steele dossier through this guy, Denchenko and so on, who they were paying already as a confidential informant. And then when everything falls apart, they know it's lies. They pay him according to according to the Durham. I think it's another three hundred thousand dollars so he can remain a confidential human source. Now, why would they do that after they've discredited him, after they know that he's been feeding them lies so that he can't be subpoenaed by Congress so that he can't go out there and out what they've been doing, all the nonsense he's been pushing that they've been willingly accepting the spoon feed of. It, it would make them look bad. I mean, the. I had a big debate with with um, Dan Abrams, my my pal, uh, both here on Sirius XM and he's on News Nation about he doesn't like it when people rip on the FBI because he thinks there's a lot of honorable guys in there who would prosecute leftists and and conservatives and so on. That that speaks to the rank and file. The the leadership of the FBI has been corrupt, and there's been almost no accountability. There were like, why why is Andrew McCabe a darling of the left? What about Peter Strzok? Why They're, they don't care? These same leftists who want to lecture us on everything, like you point out, disinformation and so on, are employing and celebrating and giving tenured university positions to these people to this day. I'm uh, I'm always struck by how people who otherwise can um, cite, you know, by heart a uh, line from a movie uh, about uh, Joseph McCarthy. Um, uh, <laughs> will then in the next breath accuse someone without any good evidence at all of being a, a, a puppet of the Russian government. It's like, did you see any dissonance going on here? And this is, I mean, keep in mind, Hillary Clinton did this not just with Donald Trump, which is the most consequential one, to be sure, but to Tulsi Gabbard. 
Mm. Yeah. Right. Uh, to to uh, not just Tulsi Gabbard either, also to Jill Stein. She said that Jill Stein running for the Green Party in 2016 was likely a Russian asset. It's, it's her language for this. D- John McCain, the late John McCain, said something very similar about Rand Paul. Um, these are disreputable, dishonorable ways of going through life. Um, when someone is frustrating you because they're your political impediment, they're not doing the thing that you want them to do. Or you just hate them. It's fine. People hate each other. It happens. Um, You don't call them an asset of a foreign adversary. This should be basic. It should be kind of a consistent thing that we have an instinctual revulsion at, not just as citizens, but as journalists, or not just as journalists, but as citizens. Uh, And yet people um, went whole hog for it. And there's only a few people I, I can think of in the media who when faced with new information as it has come out over the years, has said, oh, gosh, that's a problem. Uh, Michael yeah. Sikoff, I think um, Moynihan has pointed out in, in previous iterations, was one of them who did that and deserves some credit for that. Uh, that's yeah, that's the soul yeah. searching that we should be seeing right now. Yes. And we're not because people are just not consistent. About this. And just to add, add one thing to that, you know, it yeah. is an, it's the seriousness of the charge is what we should focus on, because I don't like Tulsi Gabbard's ideas about Russia and about Russian foreign policy. I do not like Rand Paul's either. And I do not like Jill Stein's and, you know, who's at RT galas. To say they are assets, <laughs> to say they are working for a foreign government is to accuse somebody of what? Of treason. Treason. What is the crime? What is the highest punishment for treason? There were two people, married couple in the 1950s, who were accused of being treasonous towards the Soviets, uh, with the Soviets in collusion, and they were executed Julius and Ethel Rosenberg. And, you know, they were guilty too. But to go around saying that these are people that I think they have crappy foreign policy, but you know what? I'm not going to take shortcuts. I'm not going to say, well, you know what? I think they really are because that's cable news stuff. I mean, if you go back and, you know, look at Rachel Maddow's record, no one seems to be doing this because the woman is making $30 million a year or something to that tune. And we're doing one show a week. Yes. And she had yeah. major ratings to the entire Trump administration by spinning these yarns about a treasonous government. Good mm-hmm. Lord. If the government in power is in service of the evil scumbags in the Kremlin, you would have the right to, you know, overthrow it for Christ's sake. I mean, it's unbelievable that think people about, say about things without consequences. What Rachel Maddow probably lives in. You know, the penthouse that she's probably got, the car she probably drives, the the country estate she probably has. She bought that thanks to these lies that she told, dividing the country night after night after night with impunity. I mean, I hope she looks around and she sees her beautiful couch and she thinks lies paid for that. That's what that's what happened. And she, unlike these other journalists you point out, Isakov's been good, um, hasn't had any accountability for it whatsoever. She got raises for it. She she got praised for it. I mean, not for nothing, but um, my husband, Doug, you know, he's got this other podcast where he interviews authors. He's an author and uh, it's called Dedicated with Doug Brunt. It's really good. And he had on Douglas Murray. It actually released today. Um, Douglas Murray, who's such a great pundit. And he was talking to Douglas Murray about people like Rachel Maddow and how they just spew lies and they don't debate anybody. Right. Like, wouldn't it be great to see somebody get on there and grill her and say, like, how dare you, madam? Have you no shame? Speaking of quoting, McCarthy, right. Um, yeah. It doesn't happen. By the way, we have the clip. Just, you know, shameless plug for Doug's podcast. It's, it's kind of cute. Here, watch this. Is there anyone out there that you would like to debate that, that you think could maybe do it in a constructive way? Um, unfortunately, not at the moment. Um, there are <laughs> ones who I'd like to debate who wouldn't be able to do it. 
Um, mm-hmm. I'd love to debate Nicole Hannah-Jones of the 1619 Project or Robin DiAngelo, the race huckster, uh, author of White <laughs> Fragility and other okay. unreadable <laughs> terms. So I'd love to debate mm-hmm. Ibram X. Kendi. Mm-hmm. But all three people I've just mentioned are a new form of public figure in America, which is the public figure who throws out incendiary ideas and will not defend them in public. In fact, says, I will not debate these ideas because uh, all opponents are de facto racist. What about no, like, I don't know, I mean, you and Rachel Maddow probably have a different worldview. She, so she's smart. Yeah, well, it doesn't one. necessarily mean you're smart. I've met plenty of dim people from these places. But um, uh, I think she um, she's an act. I don't think she's a real uh, ideas person. I mean, mm-hmm. It's just an act. Um, she she has a shtick where you know she sits in front of the monitor and uh, reads reads out and c- cries sometimes when it's good for ratings. And um, I, d- I don't think it's a real ideas person by any means. It sounds so much Jeez, better with the British accent. Love- yeah, it's like ASMR, isn't it? I'm like I'm so smooth, soothing when Here's Douglas is angry. <laughs> yeah, my daughter does that all the time. Yeah, he's like opening a package. It's very but um no, I mean he's right about all of these things. And you know, if if people, it's funny when you say like we cannot have people like you know Alex Jones and whatever because people are silly and stupid and we don't trust them and they'll believe these things. So let's just have somebody uninterrupted on cable for five six years talking about. Uh, trumping a Russian asset on a cable channel that's getting very good ratings for cable and unopposed and have them yes. sort of it's the idea that people are going to soak this stuff up and and they do and he's absolutely right about the people he mentioned before who explicitly mm-hmm. say we have invited Nicole well, Hannah Jones many debate. times yeah. onto the podcast that was a long time ago before she you know said she won't talk to anyone if you can find a critical debate She'll sneer at people on Twitter, but you will not find on on YouTube a her being challenged by an actual historian. She's not a historian, but she has made very large claims for herself and for the history of the United States that is, you know, revisionism is a perfectly fine thing. We can revise history. It's very important to do so. Sure. But it's also very important to be able to publicly defend those ideas. And as Douglas says to your husband, a very, a very smart way of saying it is that, is that this is something that used to be standard, but those were amongst historians. This is, we have media people now redrawing the past of America and saying, no, 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 no. It's not good for me to, uh, to, to go out there and defend these things. It's just good to get the echo chamber and people want mm-hmm. to get that, you know, validation. They don't want challenge. I have a quick I question remember... I have to ask you guys. I'll Can I ask you a quick question? Um, mm-hmm. I, forgive me for this question. Oh, but no. does this, oh God, here does, we go. does yeah. this officially put an end to any possibility of Hillary Clinton becoming the nominee? <laughs> I'm just saying, uh, nobody wants Biden. Nobody wants Kamala. I've heard the name that's mentioned been over. Dead. And, it's yeah. dead. It's dead. The horse is dead. It's dead. Okay. The, the I, want, dead. I want to no agree. To I want to agree, but I don't make uh, predictions like that anymore. Ever since yeah. I was very, very wrong about Donald Trump securing the nomination for the Republican <laughs> Party. So I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was wrong about the Russia stuff. I was. I was like, oh well, the FBI's got to have something. And <laughs> well, that's I said that many times in the podcast, and I walked that back. That's the problem. I I think most Americans were very trusting of an institution like the DOJ, like like the FBI, you know, and even I had real faith in Jim Comey. I thought he was a man of honor. I see him so differently now. Thank God for alternative sources of media, for those journalists who did question, who didn't accept. I was on the sidelines for a lot of this reporting because it was in between my stints in television. But 
Um, I thank God for people who push back, people like Glenn Greenwald, people like Tucker, you know, who just didn't accept these narratives, who kept pressing and not and didn't allow Rachel Maddow to have the floor, um, you know, alone. Right. There was another narrative out there and it made people hate them just for fun, just for kicks. Uh, Here's just a throwback just real quick to Rachel Maddow during the Trump era and what she sounded like then. Miss 30 million dollars a year lady. Russia. Russia, Vladimir Putin, Russia, 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 hate Russia, 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 Putin, Russia's Russia, 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 Russian, 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 Russia, Russia, Moscow, Moscow, Russia, Russian, pro-Russian, Russian, Russia, Russian, 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 the Russians, Russian, 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 Russians, Russians, Russia, Russians, Russian, 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 Russia, Russian, 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 Moscow, Russian, Russian, Russia, Putin, Russian, 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 against us, Russians, Russians, Russia against the U.S., the Russians, Russian, 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 Russian government scheme, the Russians, Vladimir Putin, Russia, Vladimir Putin, Russia, Putin, Putin and Russia, Russia, Moscow, Russia, Russian, Russian, Russia, the Russians. Mm. Take it to 30 million bucks a year. (laughs) (laughs) We think that's from Matt Taibbi, an old one. This this reminds me of a feeling that I've had, and I've lo- thankfully I've suppressed it for a while. Um, but I, I think I can speak for Moynihan about this too. I've hated Russia my whole life. Yeah, yeah, it's me been too. pretty good, and consistent. <laughs> my dad worked in aerospace. Like we're we're going after yeah. the Ruskies since I was old enough to crawl. Um, and I mean, we when uh, Camille and I had the best uh, show along with Kennedy on the history of cable news. Sorry, Megan, uh, the Independence <laughs> didn't quite do as big as yeah. was one. As Roger Ailes's one failure, Matt, was he didn't see. <laughs> That genius. It's true. I mean, he was quoted as saying Matt Welch is a dud in the newspaper. Uh, which oh, was, so sad. Which no. was, oh, he didn't but, say anything yeah, bad about you. me. They were uh, very anyways, kind we, to me. We had <laughs> our, oh, he did not. Uh, it's so record. clean. And our ticket, but so, but he, uh, we had our uh, like a countdown, like the biggest enemies of freedom or something like that. In 2014, we did this, and who was the number one global enemy of freedom on our list? Vladimir Putin was. So you go and I, you know, just hating Russia, uh, opposing all of his uh, imperialist wars and all of this stuff, um, and to go from there and then suddenly see people who um, have not been uh, shoulder to shoulder on that issue over the years do that clip for the better part of four years was a was an out-of-body experience um and and it's always a a reminder to even yourself to remember to tether your stuff to reality um Mm. and uh you know you can it's totally not just uh possible but preferable to keep your hatred of uh hateful uh actions and figures without impugning your fellow citizens um just don't uh these are americans we're talking about yeah we should be we should have facts on our side before we make these grave accusations don't don't we though we see that uh um, in the climate we're in now, I'm very surprised that we allow hatred against a nation and people. Now, do the exact same thing, and we can use AI to replace that with Mexico and Mexicans and see <laughs> see how long the Rachel Maddow show would stay on the earth. Like, Mexicans, Mexicans, Mexicans. Like, these Mexicans are everywhere. The Mexicans are in the government. It's like, yeah, I don't think you get away with that. But Russia, it's fine. It's all right. Because it's you very might, Parthiite, you know? It's fine. You might win a GOP I, nomination, but it'd be hard for you. Can I... Can Go ahead. Can I have one disagreement with uh, with Doug uh, Murray? I think Douglas, excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Douglas. Yeah, he gets mad. Uh, I, I, I know. I am sorry, but I'm not. I don't think she's acting. I, I don't. I think she's no. sincere. Um, I think that a lot of people are stampeding towards certainty uh, with respect to conclusions that conveniently fit particular perspectives that they have. And you just see too much of it. I think there's kind of a, a sincere earnestness to it. Um, and, and even 
it might even be the case that people are allowing themselves to be convinced that when it seems like they're wrong, there's probably some sort of conspiracy there. I think people earnestly cannot see it. I think much of the media establishment can't see the various ways in which they've kind of been deluded um, and they've engaged in just these kind of miscarriages, these abortions, journalistic abortions over and over again, which quite frankly is far, a far worse and far more pessimistic perspective on things than to believe mm. that everyone is engaged in some sort of like open dishonesty. I, I think that Nicole Hannah-Jones, for example, it, earnestly believes her point of view and mm -hmm. doesn't debate people because she believes that anyone who disagrees is some sort of monster. Um, and unless I have some evidence to the contrary, I'm probably going to maintain that belief. Um, and it's, it's unfortunate that that's where we are right now. And I, I don't know how to pull out of that except to continue to try to have earnest conversations and to continue to try to model what it looks like to not get out over your skis um, and to not engage in that kind of self-delusion. He might have meant Douglas Murray because the longer clip has my Doug saying, you know, mm. she's smart. I think she she's a Rhodes Scholar. She went to Oxford and Douglas Murray. Now, you know, he's, now being, he's being he, too generous. He <laughs> says, well, that, that's my that's my Doug being a nice guy. Yeah. And uh, Douglas Murray says something like, I know a lot of dim people from yeah, those yeah. universities. Many, she's many, rather many dim too. Like she might have meant yeah. she's acting smart. She's actually not really a smart person. I had to listen to the whole podcast yeah. dedicated with Doug Brown if you want to hear. So listen to Douglas. Talk to Douglas would be very very. Yeah, <laughs> um, and you'll find out what his favorite drink is too. Oh, and you know what? I tease this. So let me give you one more clip. I'm going to give you one more clip of Douglas on Doug, uh, on Doug's show. And this is the question: What irritates Douglas Murray? when he goes into a restaurant. Here it is. Worst distinctly American thing. Oh. The phrase, oh, are you still working on that? I hate that so much. <laughs> oh, you mean this in the context of a, a restaurant yes. as opposed to a book or something? No, no, okay. no, it's a restaurant. And I want to that see, is amazing. How much more workmanlike and unpleasant do you want to make this seem? <laughs> I guess I'll just have to get back to that salmon again and see if, it's, if I can make another assault on it. <laughs> <laughs> the one and oh only. Douglas Murray's yeah. amazing. He's well Unbelievable. Worth That's so funny. Yeah. He's absolutely right. right, by the way. He's right? He is. right. <laughs> Why should my salmon be work? All right, stand by fifth column. More coming up. Attention. If you owe the IRS, this is an important announcement. COVID relief is over and the IRS is ramping up like never before, sending out millions of collection letters to start 2024. Do you owe $10,000 or more or have unfiled returns? Now is the time to act. The IRS can garnish your wages, seize your property, and they can even take your home or your business. Don't let the IRS take advantage of you. It's time to call Tax Network USA. Their team of experienced tax lawyers has already saved over $1 billion in tax debt for their clients. They know how to negotiate with the IRS and can help you too. Visit TNUSA.com or call 1-800-245-6000. Again, that's 1-800-245-6000. Don't wait until it's too late. Take control of your tax situation today with Tax Network USA. 1-800-245-6000. Call now. It's another morning and you're all set for work. You grab your coffee, head out the door, and your car decides today's the day it won't start. Panic sets in. You're not just late. 
you're stranded. Get ahead of unexpected car repairs before they strike with CarShield, the most trusted vehicle protection company. For almost 20 years, CarShield has saved millions of drivers from repair nightmares with low monthly plans that cover up to 5,000 major parts and systems, like pricey transmission and engine repairs and check engine light mysteries. Visit CarShield today at carshield.com carlson. Plans include unlimited miles, 24-7 roadside assistance, help with flats, lockouts, and rental car options. Save 20% and get a free quote by visiting CarShield online at carshield.com slash carlson. Don't wait for the next surprise. Choose peace of mind with CarShield. Go to carshield.com slash carlson and save 20% today. Can I just tell you about a little cooking fail that happened to me last night? I'm thinking about Douglas Murray and salmon. I can't stand seafood. I've never been able to eat it. I think I had a fish trauma as a child at my grandparents' boatyard on the Hudson. Okay, it was the 70s. GE was dumping chemicals in there. Like it could have been one of a number of things. So I don't eat seafood, but my doctor, I I go to my heart doctor every year because my dad died young of a heart attack. And he's like, you need to eat more fish and you need to eat less red meat. And don't, you can't have like a big bowl of carbs because believe it or not, that can drive up cholesterol, even though there's no cholesterol in the bowl of spaghetti. My cholesterol is fine, but you know, we're staying proactive. I'm like, oh man, I I eat a fair amount of red meat and chicken for that matter. So I'm like, okay, I want I want to do more, you know, vegetarian options. And I want my kids to eat like that. But my boys say they don't like cheese. They they eat tons of pizza, but they claim they don't like cheese. I'm stuck with this. So going meatless is very challenging because every recipe has cheese in it, which now I can't make because we're all pretending that my boys don't like cheese. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I'm going to Google meatless Monday. That's a thing. I remember that from my NBC days where they were making me do cooking segments. I'm going to do meatless Monday. I find a recipe. Everything has cheese. Okay, no. Get it. Finally, a teriyaki vegetable dish with tempeh, T-E-M-P-E-H. Mm-hmm. I've never mm-hmm. had it before. They said it's like tofu, only supposedly better. I'm like, oh, okay, because tofu sucks. So mm-hmm. maybe I'll try tempeh. <laughs> so I drive to the Whole Foods. And I'm like, where else am I going to get tempe? I'm not going to the acne for that. So I go to the Whole Foods. I get the tempe. The, the recipe calls for three heads of broccoli. I'm like, I'm not doing all that nonsense. That's a lot of work. So I get the frozen florets instead. This, is, as it would turn out, is a mistake. <laughs> One of many. <laughs> I get the peppers. I had to get three different peppers in different, different colors. I, I thought I was getting snap peas, but I think I got something else. They were thicker and fatter, and you had to cut off the ends. I don't know what I got. And <laughs> I bring it all back home. Then they wanted me to make teriyaki. I'm like, I'm not doing that. I just bought one, a teriyaki off the shelf. I'm in Whole Foods. How bad could it be? So I get it all home. It was $168. Now I bought other things. It wasn't just the dip, but it was an expensive trip. Get back home. I start cutting up the veggies. I go wash all the veggies. Everything takes so long. I'm not happy. I'm not a happy chef. I don't like the way I feel when I'm in the kitchen. Inadequate. I can't eyeball anything. Try to follow the directions to a tea. First, you have to cook the tempeh. So I got the tempeh in there and some oil in like a wok. I mean, within, they say six to eight minutes. Within three, it burned. Everything burned. Mm The, uh, the olive oil, I, whatever the oil was in there burned. I I put it on what they said, but it still burned. So now I'm pushing around. The doctor also said burn is bad. Don't eat burn. Burn causes bad things. I'm like, quite crackpot doctor you have. (laughs) Causing death by the minute as I cook the tempeh, my healthy meal in the burn. Like dump it out of the, get it into a plate. 
No, I didn't throw it away, but I, then I scrub with the Brillo. Scrub, scrub, scrub. Get the burn off the wok because it's my only pan. Brillo then on I wok. go back. I start putting all the vegetables in there. And it's not looking right. I'm not going to lie. It just look like wrong. I put the broccoli florets in. All that water comes off. They're the soggiest, most disgusting yeah. broccoli florets ever. I know that's not how it's supposed to be. It meandered over to the other vegetables. Everything's now soggy. By the way, peeling ginger is a massive pain in the ass. You got, I mean, like, it's an exercise <laughs> in how to keep your fingers on your, attached to your hand. But trying to get the skin off and trying to <laughs> tiny, slice the tiny, tiny ginger. The scallions, my hands still smell. I don't enjoy doing this shit. So I tried. Everything was waterlogged. I could tell my, my kids come in. They're like, what's for dinner? You know, with the bright faces. I'm like, something healthy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> try try the tempe and everybody's their noses are turned up well one fell on the floor even oh. thunder wouldn't eat the tempe my good dog <laughs> strudwick was outside he would have eaten anything oh, i thought that was but your even youngest. thunder thunder. <laughs> thunder, thunder, <laughs> thunder kelly thunder rejected oh my God, the tempe it's a great name <laughs> the kids didn't want it at all i tried it yeah. it was the most disgusting thing i've ever put in my i mean it was i couldn't so i threw it away all we had was a big wok full of soggy, waterlogged vegetables. The teriyaki was a disaster because it didn't say how much to put on. I had to eyeball, which, as I've already explained to you, I don't know how to do. So I waterlogged it even more. It was a salty, disgusting mess. Doug said, do you want a glass of wine? I said, no, I'm trying to lay off the wine. And the doctor also said not to have too much wine. Flash, flash forward, I look at Doug and say, Dr. Phil? Please order some pizzas. Yes, we got a cheese, cheese pizza and yeah. a sausage pizza. And where's my wine? Indeed, I drank it. Oh. <laughs> Were you on the phone with the doctor throughout this entire trauma? Is he telling you that like, no, 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 you can't be on the floor. You can't burn it. And I would rather like, die young. You can't do that. I mean, I'd rather die young than live like this. I can't you do it. You are a 21 year old dude. Yeah, you, like, like you don't have yeah. any idea what you're doing in the kitchen. Because yeah, instead I, of eyeballing it, just get the measuring. Do you have a measuring cup, Megan? No, well, it didn't say. It said like make the teriyaki in this amount and then pour what it. I'm like, say? well, I didn't do that. I don't. It said like just I, figure it out. On, on I honestly like this is these are the days that I look at Abby and I'm like. Should I just try to hire somebody? Like, I, I can afford yeah, somebody, somebody to come help me. Probably. Why don't I just yeah. get somebody? I, was thinking. I, think I don't know. I think it idea. feels like too big an indulgence. You know what I mean? It feels Stop like being Irish. You're creating jobs. Oh. You're creating jobs. <laughs> tend to be it's good for America. Yeah, it's good for your family. For and it will and, save you a yes. great deal of stress. And for God's sake, let Doug cook. Let Doug cook. My God. He doesn't cook either. I know he needs a break at least once a week Murray cook. Let anyone cook. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. There's a running joke in my family because one thing I know how to make is lasagna. Of course, I have to make it cheeseless. One for the boys that's cheeseless because they don't like oh. cheese, even though they ate cheese pizza like it was going out of style. And then one that has cheese. So I make it. But it's a massive hassle. Lasagna is a big hassle, too. The bechamel sauce, that's another 20 minutes you didn't have. Cooking the meat on the stove takes all day. It's got three different kinds of meat in it. And the yeah. lasagna noodles, first time I made it, I didn't realize you got to cook those. Unless you buy a special kind and then you get to do everything and the lasagna is not done. You got to put the noodles in there, the raw anyway. By the time I serve the lasagna, now it's gotten to the point where the whole family's like, we're having lasagna with like the yeah. blinking eyes of a dog that knows it's getting hit with a newspaper because they know I'm going to be in a terrible mood by the time it's <laughs> Are all the kids like massively underweight and like, look, they're like skin is a bit jaundiced and they're like, mommy, can I please have something without cheese that's delicious? I'm not going to lie. They, they are a little skinny. It's <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
Maybe this is why Strudwick is eating everything off my counters because he's too yeah. too skinny. Okay. Yeah, I, I just All right. Sorry. Back you, to the news. Okay. You say the need to... stove like uh, sure. like it's a uh, it's a <laughs> tribesman. <laughs> like, I do get uh, triggered. Apollo capsule. It's true. You would think at 52, I would have better skills than this, but I do not. Um, Okay, let's talk about more important things like Miller Lite. Um, People are joking that Miller Lite saw the controversy with Bud Light and said, hold my beer. Uh, They've decided (laughs) that their marketing campaign campaign, much like the Bud Light one, was outdated and offensive. You know, Bud Light thought it was too fratty, according to that one woman. And Miller Lite, too, thinks that they've been too brotastic in their effort to get men to want to use or drink their beer. So they, I'll just give you a, a look back at a classic Miller Lite ad and the way they used to try to market the brand. This is from 2003. Great day. Let's do it. Oh yeah, that was great. Great day. Great day. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. Oh yeah, bikini-clad mud fighters. Oh, now that would make a great Who wouldn't want to watch that? <laughs> By the way, that is a feminist ad. At the end, the men are looked at like you guys are gross, but yes. I am also very, very thirsty right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> just need a beer, and it's one o'clock. So there you go. <laughs> so now. Miller Lite's sad, and it's sorry that it was a bunch of sexist pigs, according to it. And they put out this librarian lady to lecture us (laughs) on how they're going to change it all. Look at this clip. Centuries later, how did the industry pay homage to the founding mothers of beer? They put us in bikinis. Wow. Don't take it away. Look at this Wild. It's time beer made it up to women. So today, Miller Lite is on a mission to clean up not just their shit, but the whole beer industry's shit. Miller Lite has been scouring the internet for all this shit and buying it back so that they can turn it into good shit for women brewers. Literally, good shit. But there's definitely more shit out there. In your attic, in the garage, in your parents' basement. Send any shit you got into Miller Lite and they'll turn that into good shit too. Oh, so here's to women, because without us, there would be no beer. Oh my god! That's like Nicole Hannah Jones history. Without women, to be no beer. I want. I'm stuck on the practicalities of it because if you keep playing the ad, they're like, "No, seriously, send us your your shit or bad shit. We'll turn it into good shit." So you scoured the internet for shit, and you somehow turned it into fertilizer. You so you scoured a beer ad on the internet, and it became fertilizer. Yeah. Um, yes. Or even that's what they're if, saying. You know. If I'm reaching over to my grandpa's Playboy collection, which is thankfully within arm's reach over here, um, they want me to pull out the, not the Carlton ads, which are actually really gruesome, but the beer ads and like mail them to them. And then they're going to put it through a shredder. And then that shredder is going to produce fertilizer for, I guess, barley and hops, which they're going to send to female brewers so i yes, yes. i want to do the follow-up for you <laughs> and see how many like barrels full of yeah. shredded you know d- destructed images you know we're we're, um, we're sort of book shredding over here now um are, are going to I be didn't know they were serious about that are they actually serious about that at the end of the ad they pretend to be serious about this that it's never mm-hmm. going to happen of course but um they pretend well, to be serious i, mean, I just I- 
I can tell you guys were offended by the original ad. That was obvious. Was and that you're happy for this moment of female empowerment. <laughs> yes. Right? This is going to make you want to buy Miller Lite. No? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I look at that and I'm like, I just, I think I really want to support women uh, by drinking uh, the shittiest beer I can find and being yelled at <laughs> for uh, ads that I like because I thought the women were mildly attractive. I mean, this is a great way of selling things. We used to like the the fact that women were in the ads in the first place was like, yeah, I mean, titillate them, maybe they'll be interested. And now they believe that to interest us, they have to yell at us and lecture <laughs> us about how bad America has been and send us this in the Stalinist spasm. Send us the stuff from the past and we will destroy the past. This is like the Khmer Rouge of beer. Get just destroy the past for this glorious future. It's like you're a beer company. You want to apologize? Fine, but you don't have to go in the other direction. You don't have to go all scoldy and be just don't do those ads anymore. Correct. Fine, and okay. all the women brewers, like they found like the hardy women who are brewing. This is the these are the new women. We're getting rid of the old women. F the women yeah, who wear well, bikinis. What about these the women now? It says at the beginning that only we don't have only only have beer because women decided to brew this uh, in the past and they figured it out without without women we wouldn't have beer no one would have figured it out by the way it's just not, if it wasn't for these women in the past it just never would have happened we have ai but we probably wouldn't have beer uh, it's a really bizarre thing that is also you have to like create a fake historical narrative to get people to pay attention like oh interesting i did but it's once again it's like was... who was offended who actually was offended Nobody. by the miller light you know, like like the woman at Bud Light saying we were too fratty says who mm. who's your audience? Do they really have a bunch of like hardy women like I wish they'd get rid of those bikini clad ladies and then I'd finally drink the Miller Lite? I don't think so. They work in the, the, the insinuation is also the insinuation is also that women don't enjoy those ads. And I mean, who, who are the Terry Crews <laughs> Old Spice ads for? Like, are they for me when he's shirtless and, and looking uh, absolutely great? And there's this. You tell us, Camille. Apparently they are. I'm stinking. <laughs> it's, it's only a male product. They're selling it to me. So we should yeah. do something about that, too. Terry Crews, keep your damn shirt on. Well, Stop Camille, <laughs> I said this to you the other day on the Grotesque. This is the thing is that now we want to have like big, shapely women on the cover of magazines. Let's have that men that's shirtless right. and shapely on the cover of men's yeah. health. I want to see that's it. Right. Why is that not happening? Excellent. Yeah, Why are not should overweight be a, men? I'll show Matt. Proud of their bodies. All right, next to Matt Walsh, the two of us. Now we, we'll show <laughs> men we did not get to. Yeah. We did not get to the Sports Illustrated cover models with the trans person and the and the 81-year-old oh, Martha Stewart. And oh. guess what, though? The audience can take heart because that leads me that leaves me some good fodder for my guest tomorrow, guys. Sorry, but Roseanne will have first crack at oh, that whoa, on the wow. MK show. For the warm-up act. <laughs> right? How good is that going to be? I can't wait. <laughs> you were also excellent, though. Don't feel bad. It Thank went you. very well Thank today. You. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad it went well. Thank you, as always. Sending you a case of Miller Lite. In the mail. <laughs> check your mail. Thanks, everyone. On the fifth column, don't forget to check them out at wethefifth.substack.com. And don't forget, Roseanne is here tomorrow for the full show. And then later this week, we're going to be joined by Dan Bongino for the first time. This will be very interesting. This is the first time I will have had the opportunity to talk to him in the first interview he has given since Fox booted him. We'll get to the bottom of what's going on over there. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda and no fear. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. Next, go give it to you. How about that? 
That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. That, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Let's go, give it to you. Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.